Today's episode of No-Till Flowers is brought to you by Farmer's Friend. It's no secret that almost everything grows better in a tunnel. Bring the benefits of greenhouse production to your veggie or flower farm in an affordable and easy-to-assemble package from Farmer's Friend Caterpillar Tunnel Kits. They're quick to build and move, come in a variety of styles and sizes, and include everything you need to make installation a breeze. Can attest to this, I own two of these tunnels myself, and they are super easy to put up and take down as needed. Plus, if you order two or more tunnels of any size, you'll get free shipping on your entire order. Also, be sure to check out Farmer's Friends' growing selection of small farm tools and supplies like the pyro weeder, silage tarps, landscape fabric, row covers, shade cloth, irrigation kits, and more. If you are ready to increase efficiency on your farm and earn higher profits with less work, visit FarmersFriend.com today. Today's show is also brought to you by Growing for Market Magazine. Want to know the top 10 most profitable flowers to grow on a limited acreage? How to manage a greenhouse for cut flowers? Or how to structure a profitable farm business? Learn all of that and more by subscribing to Growing for Market Magazine. Founded by the flower farmer author Lynn Bazinski, Growing for Market is celebrating 30 years of helping local food and flower growers succeed with articles written by industry leaders like Elliot Coleman, Aaron Benzikane, and Jean-Martin Fortier, by farmers for farmers. Plus, subscriptions start at only $30 per year. Whether you do farmer's markets, local wholesaling, a CSA, or dream of starting a farm, check them out today at growingformarket.com. Request a free sample print or digital copy from the website, and podcast listeners can get a new subscriber discount of 25% off when using the code SOIL when subscribing at growingformarket.com. Again, that code is SOIL. And I wanna throw in just a personal off script plug here to say how much I value my own subscription to Growing for Market. Editor Andrew and his team put together a fantastic collection of articles for each issue. There's always flower-related content, but to be honest, I find the stories about employee management and small farm equipment and so many other topics just as valuable. So that's a big two thumbs up for me here, personally. All right, put in your earbuds, pour a cup of tea, or put on your work gloves. It's time for another episode of the No-Till Flowers podcast. As always, I'm your nerdy host, Jenny Love of Love and Fresh Flowers. I created this podcast to drill into the details of truly natural farming, be it no-till or biostimulants or whatever, as it relates to flower farming. I felt like there was a void in the industry for this kind of information. And since I'm in my third season of no-till here on my farm and I still have lots of questions, I thought this podcast would be a great way for me to ask those questions and hopefully get some good answers from our guests. So let's get started. Today I'm chatting with Bronwyn and Chris from Island Flower Farm located out on Vancouver Island. I first met Bronwyn way back in the summer of 2018 at a floral design workshop located on Salt Spring Island in British Columbia. And I remember just thinking she had such an eye for floral design and that she was gonna go somewhere. And I was totally right. You should check out the Instagram for Island Flower Farm and see just how much um, beautiful work 
Bronwyn has created. So I was really excited to catch up with her and her partner Chris today and talk all about their their flower farming endeavors, including how um, COVID has changed things and where they think they're going to go um, from here. But in this conversation, we hit on so many great subjects, including permaculture, windy conditions, sandy soil, irrigation, fertilizer recipes, and even something called a slinger truck that I um, have never heard of before, but Chris swears it makes putting combos on beds a thousand times easier. So you better believe I'm gonna be looking into that one more. So let's get rolling here with all this great information. All right, I am so excited to talk to Bronwyn and Chris from Island Flower Farm today, located out in Vancouver Island in Canada. And they've got a lot to share with us about their farm and their no-till practices, as well as permaculture. So let's dive in, guys. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jenny. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yay. Um, all right. So let's start with the basics. Tell us where you're located, how much space you're growing on, what growing zone you are, and little bits about your um, climate out there. All right. Well, we're located on Vancouver Island. Uh, that's in Canada. And a lot of people think when they hear of Canada, they think it's really cold. Um, but we're actually zone 7B. Um, we're the warmest and most temperate weather in Canada. Um, it's amazing here. Our summers are really warm and dry and we rarely get uh, snow in the winter. It's, it's usually pretty mild and rainy here. Um, we have mainly a market garden. Um, we have some rolling topography on our farm. We don't have a lot of flat fields, so we have a really intensively planted market garden. Um, the property itself is about five acres and we grow on about two and a half acres of that. And the rest is mainly forest and we have a few cabins and um, a couple pond, uh, ponds on our farm. Wow, it sounds absolutely bucolic. So I'm, I'm a little jealous of all of that topography that you have. <laughs> so does all of that rain in the winter and hot dry summers really make it hard to grow for you guys? Is it so extreme or is it a fairly um, moderate, there's not too much managing that you have to do? Oh yeah, no, it's definitely challenging. I mean, you have all the rain beating down on your uh, soil. So you're trying to build the soil, the rain's taking it all apart. And um, I mean, you're obviously, yeah, working with crazy climates, like it's super windy here most days. And, yeah. I mean, we're surrounded by trees. Like we're in a big forest. You think this would have been the best windbreak of all, but. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> I don't know how, but some of the wind gets through all these trees and it's, it's absolutely insane maybe you're just the nexus of the wind maybe you're the start of all the wind and it goes out like your trees yeah. are generating the wind <laughs> yeah it literally comes in all directions and the, the funniest thing is like anytime i touch a tarp yeah to use the flame weeder the wind just knows it comes out of nowhere <laughs> i was gonna ask you if that made using tarps really challenging i mean that's such a uh um typical tool for no-till so are you able to use tarps or you just have to put a bajillion soil bags on them a bajillion soil bags <laughs> and more we're constantly running our bedroom window looks out onto our main field and we're constantly waking up in the morning you know most people go oh look out their window for a beautiful view and we just see tarps dancing in the wind oh no that's got to be the source of so much anxiety <laughs> yeah 
Oh, I'm sorry. So do you think that you, have you tried to come up with another system besides TARPs or you're you still, it's worth it. The TARPs are, are worth the anxiety basically in the end. Yeah, no, they're, they're worth it now. We've, we've figured out a few solutions, but I mean, the TARPs are saving us so much time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We have a bit more of a life. I don't say like we actually have balance, but we're working towards it. <laughs> Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear you're at least working towards it. But I don't know. I, I still I still doubt any farmer that tells me they have good life balance. I'm like very suspicious of that person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> so tell me um, of that two and a half acres that you have in production, then is that mostly all flowers or are you also growing vegetables? Because Kristen, you have a background in vegetables. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, why don't we go back to like why we even started this whole thing? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to see. What, what, what's your what's your motivation? Yeah, like the origin story of it all. It's, uh, well, I was living in Vancouver in the city for a number of years and was really unhappy, to be honest, somewhat depressed. And I was like, you know what, I need to get back to back to my roots. I grew up on a little island in an idyllic uh, like farming community, Salt Spring Island, BC. Beautiful place. Oh, yeah. I've been yeah. there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, I had this like amazing, like, you know, these memories in my mind of like how good it was growing up and completely lost like connection with all that living in Vancouver for what, eight years, I think. And I just kind of had enough. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to start, uh, you know, going back, you know, uh, back to the land, simplifying life. And uh, I went to England and took a permaculture design course from Patrick Whitfield. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was quite a legend, that guy. And uh, yeah. yeah, he has the book, the Earth Care Manual for anyone who wants to read it. Really good stuff. And uh, I guess after that, while I was on this farm for two weeks, uh, learning from him, um, I got to meet a bunch of other people and ended up going on a cool bike ride for three weeks all the way from the southern tip of England to the northern tip of Scotland and visiting farms. That's amazing. I'm very jealous of that, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably still the highlight of my last 10 years, other than meeting you, honey. But, um, yeah, so... I mean, it was amazing because you'd cycle all day through this, you know, I mean, these old trails that don't even exist in North America. These old, old trails over there. And we stay at farms every night and got to see how everyone did things. Everyone had something different. And uh, I got a lot of inspiration from that and then decided to take it a bit further and went to Australia to learn a more in-depth permaculture course from Jeff Lawton. Amazing. Yeah, he's quite a guy. And his property is like 70 acres. And it's, yeah, it's just unreal, right? I mean, you got bananas and guavas and everything growing everywhere. And uh, of course, you get all this crazy inspiration there. And uh, you totally forget how good the climate is there. And so, <laughs> so, yeah, anyways, after that, after a few months of being there, I came back to Canada to start a farm to be closer to my family and uh started planting perennials straight away like went to a little cider festival tried a bunch of apples and uh, i was like oh i'm gonna start an apple farm and you know uh, gee whiz i mean things grow so so slow here slow yeah <laughs> yeah and i was like obviously i'm gonna go broke pretty quick doing this so yeah started doing a market garden with veggies 
And so I went to the farmer's market and got to meet the whole community, which is probably one of the coolest parts of farming is like all the other farmers in the community and, you know, all the gossip and all that stuff and you know, get together for pints with people and they tell you about their techniques and, you know, who's grown what out there. And um, anyways, that was pretty cool for a while, but I was on my own farming. So that was intense. A year after that, met Bronwyn and uh, she started seeing what I was doing and I built her a couple raised beds one day because she wanted to plant some sunflowers. And uh, from that, it kind of it kind of just grew into what it is now. And so she had a few flowers one year and then she'd try to woo me. She'd cook up a nice dinner. <laughs> hey, honey, you know, what about that row right over there? And, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you that. And, uh, I like your style, Bronwyn. <laughs> he's good. He's really good. He could be a chef if he wasn't a, a farmer, for sure. And, <laughs> I mean, one row turned into two rows, turned into half the farm. And then this year, it's all flowers. Wow. Okay. So you're 100% flowers now. 100% flowers. I mean, at the farmer's market, we were, you know, originally selling veg. And then we had a little bit of flowers there. We got to see how the customers reacted to it. And they were so empathetic and wonderful and, and beautiful, like such nice people. Like people buying veg were, yeah, great people always, you know. But I veg, but like the flower customers were just like in awe of you, like treating you like a god. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so anyway, she built a following really, really quick. And yeah, I mean, it just kind of went into that. We were all flowers all of a sudden at the market. We finally cut out our own little niche. And it feels good. Finally, you know, seven years in now, we've got uh we've got a, a business that's profitable that that works for both of us and uh that we want to continue doing that's fantastic i love hearing that and it's so interesting whenever i get to meet farmers who have been veg and then move a little bit into flowers and then i often wonder what's the tipping point where they decide you know flowers are really it and if there's any sort of ex existential like investigation into your you know why are you farming at that moment you know whether I think some people go into it for food justice or just, you know, to want to, to, you know, food seems more, um, I don't know how to put it, but I'm pretty sure you guys get what I'm saying. You know, like food is, is a uh, more well, mission driven, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The essence of life where, you know, flowers, you buy them and, you know, in a weird way, you're watching them die. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But there's also so much beauty and I think um, medicine for this, this hurting world of ours through flowers. So it sounds like you guys have really been able to fill that need in your local community with your own flowers there. So I think that's great. Yeah, that's so well put. I mean, we, we still grow our own food and we've got, you know, 50 all blueberry plants and tons of fruit trees. Um, so we've got our own food supply, but like we, yeah, of all years, this has been a very special year for growing flowers and, mm. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, people need it right now. Anything to cheer them up, right? So yeah, exactly, exactly. So speaking of um, these years, just in general, jumping around a little bit, but um, did COVID really hit your farm hard? Did it change? Like Bronwyn, I know you were so into wedding design with the flowers. Did that um, throw a huge wrench into it? And then you had to move your sales to farmers markets, or what happened in that department with the sales? Yeah. Well, oh my goodness. <laughs> I know this is a tough, tough question. There's a lot to unpack. 
Yeah, it was a, it was a really difficult year, especially as a, a new farm where you're still trying to find your groundings and your identity. And then you get hit with this really wild news and um, all of our sales avenues became really turbulent. Um, our farmer's market, um, they, I think it was a provincial order that only food vendors could attend. So we had to, and of course, all of our weddings were postponed or canceled. So that's two of our major sales avenues. Um, we just had to be, we had to become creative on the spot. Um, I also had 10,000 tulips planted and it was only going to be a couple weeks until they were, they were going to pop. And when your tulips pop, you have to have your sales. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. So we pivoted overnight and we, I harnessed something that I, I, one of my university professors taught me. And that was, if you want someone to do something, make it as easy and convenient as possible. So we put everything on an online website to make it really easy for people to order flowers, order bouquets, purchase um, CSAs, um, to send loved one flowers. I just wanted to make it as easy as possible and just hope that it would work for us. Um, and somehow it did. I, I don't want to say it was an amazing year for us, but business-wise and profitability, we had a really, really great year. Um, I'm so happy to hear that because I think there's been such a, such extremes in the industry thanks to COVID. Some, some farmers have had the best year they've ever had and then other farmers have, have had the worst year they've ever had. So I, I'm glad to hear it's been okay out there. So financially best year, but I mean, <laughs> it's taken a toll on us and I don't yeah. think we'll really know what toll until our work ends and it's probably gonna, you know, smash down on us really hard. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, that's why we just got a new puppies to help us. A little, oh, yay. A little bit better. <laughs> that's great. Puppies are always good medicine. If flowers are good medicine, puppies are the best medicine, except maybe trumped by kittens. I'm not sure. Kittens have puppies. <laughs> Yeah, but I do. I, I hear what you're saying, Bronwyn. I can I can hear the exhaustion and perhaps I don't know a, a lot of other emotion in your voice when you talk about your sales this year. And I just want to jump in and say that that definitely has happened for me too. Where it was it was a really um, fantastic year for sales in many ways, but the emotional and mental toll of those sales is yet to be known. And I've found, I, I didn't do um, lots of holiday Christmas sales. Um, I just didn't have it in me. And um, it's been an interesting ride, just trying to ride the wave of coming down from 2020. So I wish you guys luck with that. It's gonna, no, you're not alone. That's basically what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's let's um, go back real quick before I forget to ask you about what percentage of your farm is in annual crops and perennials and woodies. So we'll finish up that that part of like sort of the crop um, crop ratio. Sure. So about half of our farm is perennial. The only thing is a lot of the perennials are so newly planted. They're not really economic uh, crops for us right now. Um, so we're really relying on our annual crops, um, but in our perfect world, it's all perennials, um, on our date nights, 
we're going to the garden nursery, we're buying more perennials, bringing them to the farm. But yeah, it's about 50-50 right now, and we're always looking to expand. And is that focus on perennials due to um, the the focus on permaculture, Chris? Like, is that one of the ways you really want to push it? Or have you decided that annuals aren't productive or something because of your wind and all that? What's what's the motivation for moving so hard into perennials? Yeah, it's a couple reasons, I guess. I mean, the first reason was permaculture ideas, right? So having perennial plants that can provide you food and be nitrogen fixing and be habitats for birds or beneficial insects as a huge part. Um, windbreak for sure, for sure. I mean, trying to get away <laughs> here. I, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to give up, but yeah. And uh, I mean, as a business, uh, obviously, you know, you talk to some older farmers out there and I always like to ask farmers at the market and whenever I'm out and about meeting with people, it's, you know, what, what's any advice that they might have for us? Because, you know, we're trying to figure things out. You know, we didn't really have friends or family like growing up to give us any of these tips. So we're trying to figure it out. And one of the things is get all your perennials, like get perennials planted now. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously, you know, they take a number of years where they start bringing you anything back. But they're going to make your life a lot easier when your back isn't getting any better. Uh, <laughs> happy you have them. So. Yeah, I agree. I've definitely been, uh, I've been pushing hard for perennials at my farm for that exact reason. I had, um, I think it was uh, Holly Hutchinson and Mike Hutchinson from um, uh, Robin Hollow Farm in Rhode Island. They, uh, they've been mentors of mine for a while. And, and they said early on in my career, they said, plant perennials and woodies. They're your um, retirement funds. And they're absolutely right. <laughs> that's how I'll retire. Retirement fund for the retired body. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. So let's talk actual like no-till practices at your farm then. So have you, have you always been no-till? Um, is there a space you're still tilling for some reason? Let's, let's dive into the no-till portion of this. And how long have you been no-till? Okay. Yeah. So I was lucky enough to learn farming from the beginning from some no-till experts, obviously being in permaculture. So essentially that's all I started doing was just no-till methods. And I went to, probably two, I probably started too far on the extreme end of things, trying to do everything idealistic. And I still applaud those that do that. Um, but I had absolutely no life just weeding too much and, trying to figure out how to do things better. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've got systems in place now. We're, we're still working on things and, and always trying to improve. But I guess if I have a couple of systems, I would say is one, because we're in a really sandy, 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 sandy area, you know, we had to bring in a lot of compost. And so every year we bring in truckloads of compost and we apply that to each bed. And sure, that's a... That's a big cost every year, but it's slowly building our soil that like you can see the biology in the soil is getting better. You know, you see more earthworms, you see more bugs of all sorts. And, uh, you know, the water retention is even getting better. You know, when we use our drip line irrigation, it's, I, I've, I've got, 
I've got a list every year of like how long the water is on on every row, and I can see like I keep dialing it back a couple minutes every year, and so that's really oh wow yeah it's really neat to see like oh okay it's like the soil is starting to hold more water and retaining it so must be doing something right I guess you know yeah yeah I also think it's great that you're actually keeping that data that you are are that in tune with how much water usage you have it's partly from being disorganized I just have a giant pile of paper. And uh, anyway, <laughs> all of the records are there in a pile, and I go through them in the winter when I get bored. But um, yeah, so and then also we have obviously tarping is a huge thing, right? Like it wasn't something we discovered, and like I've only been using it for a couple of years, but it's been a huge game changer. I mean, you get these giant two thousand square foot tarps, and you lay them down on the field, you know, kill off all the weeds, and then. In April, when we're able to start planting again, we try to transplant directly, you know, into the ground and uh, without having all the weeds competing makes it really easy. Or it's easier. Nothing's really easy. Are you guys using um, landscape fabric or plastic or any kind? Are you just bare, like not bare ground, obviously it's healthy, alive ground, but are you just putting straight into the ground? Uh, This is the first year we started using landscape fabric because we've been battling weeds so bad because of our wind. Mm -hmm. Um, We are using landscape fabric. Um, It's probably saved us hours and hours and hours of weeding, costs on labor and such. Um, Well, it it is, yeah. It's, I mean, definitely saving us lots of time and money for sure. And and so it's it's good. Yeah, it's been really successful for us. I, I mean, we were never really... We never really felt good about it and we we didn't use it for so many years of our farming career I, I don't know we just it just never felt comfortable with us until we realized that you know what we have a windy farm and we have to deal with it one way and um let's let's try this out it will be a science experiment and either it will you know it'll work or it won't work and um, we were so used to things not working we were really surprised that yeah. this this gave us a little bit of balance in, of in hope, our life, yeah. a little bit of hope for the yeah. future, a little bit of balance. Good. I'm glad to hear that. That's fantastic. But I guess burning the holes in a windy location wouldn't be a lot of fun. <laughs> Maybe you do that indoors. Get all that in a, in a garage, you know, we'd open the garage doors and, and we'd, we'd burn all the holes in there. We'd make like a template, a little metal template to burn mm-hmm. the holes. And, uh, so all those, te- all those, all the holes and all the templates, everything's done now. So next year it'll be a lot easier. You throw them down and they're done. But I got to be honest, like I hate plastic. I really, hate <laughs> like in my, my heart, I just, I can't stand it. I, I'm having to just accept that I need to use some of that, at least for now on our farm, while our hedgerows are getting better and while I get my energy back. Cause we've been getting like, can't speak for you entirely hun but like for me i'm getting you so can speak for me <laughs> yeah yeah i getting so burnt out every year like you know in, in august and you're like oh my god so a few months left like it's it's a weird feeling getting tired and exhausted and yeah not waking yeah. up with energy every day so that was because i pretty much started the other end of the spectrum using no plastic using just doing everything the really hard way and i still kind of like want to go back to that somehow but i think you know we've shifted this year into making our business like, you know, all flowers. We've started to turn a profit. And so we're, we're on the right track. And I think now we can maybe deviate a little bit with sections of the land and start experimenting a bit. 
and going back to some of those like ideals and you know i like the idea of the cardboard uh mulch you know like you have isn't there strips of cardboard you can get or you can yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that's what we do at my farm. I use, um, I buy, I used to just use recycled cardboard, but that was so labor intensive. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things like you guys are saying with needing landscape fabric, you just have to decide at a certain point, like where your ideals come into balance with reality. <laughs> so, so I really wanted to use cardboard, recycled cardboard as a way of um, taking it out of landfills. But then I, um, it was just so much work. So then in the end, I, I now buy rolls of, um, it's basically like packing cardboard. Um, and, and it's super easy and super fast to do. And it has helped tremendously with weed control for what it's worth. So <laughs> that, that really excites me because I, I love cardboard. It's, I mean, obviously it's like an earthworm habitat. The proteins in the cardboard are food for the earthworms. Yeah. Yeah, so you lift up the cardboard anywhere you have it on the farm and you're like, whoa, look at the worms. Like, you know that that's helping to build soil. Like, they're your best, you know, workers on the farm, essentially. Yeah, they really are. And I didn't have a very good earthworm population when I first um, went in no-till. I had tilled for several years before um, going no-till. And uh, it's amazing the difference in my earthworm population since I've been using cardboard, I guess, three three seasons now, and it made a huge difference. I think the cardboard is an excellent choice. But then at the same time, I think cardboard would be really hard in a super windy location, um, though the fact that it comes in a long roll does help tremendously, because I do have a lot of wind at my farm too, but it doesn't sound like nearly anything that you guys have. <laughs> So I can hear the fatigue in your voices. So I know your wind is bad, um, but uh, but the fact that it is in a roll does make it manageable even on a windy day. You just have to have a couple soil bags handy to throw on top, you know. So um, so it may be maybe worth trying eventually. But I think at this point, balance is incredibly important, um, especially at the juncture that you guys are at with the five years. It's it's hard. That's five years was the year I almost quit for what it's worth. <laughs> No. <laughs> it's somehow nice to hear that stuff because it yeah it just reiterates like the stuff we've been going through mentally as yeah. well like challenging we're, we're still in it for for a while like we haven't thought of any other thing to do we're loving what yeah. we do good it's good i'm glad because uh i know i love reading farm books but everything always sounds so idealistic and perfect <laughs> and i i always try to bring it back to my friends that are getting into farming is like you know, it's going to be misery. It's going to be hard. You're going to make mistakes. And, uh, you know, you just have to find what works for you. And uh, for sure. I mean, and uh, I, I guess I, I never finished your question earlier about systems you use for no-till. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to add a couple more things. Um, one thing I learned from Singing Frogs Farm, um, brilliant people, by the way, um, California, got to go to their farm a few years ago. And uh one of the things they do is they leave the roots of their crop in the ground. Like, so if they have their brassicas, they would just chop them down as much as possible, leaving the roots intact. And uh, we've done that for the winter. So all the crops that we last grew on our second succession this year, we just left all those roots in the ground. So there's, there's food for all the bugs and everything. It's a soil biology, keep it healthy and vibrant. Um, that's like a massive, massive thing that we learned. And it obviously yeah. keeps the soil structure because all of our beds are, they're all raised beds. 
um, mm-hmm. partly because it yeah. rains a lot and uh, it's nice to have like a, a place for the water to funnel through a bit and, and it's it's easier to keep it organized I guess in a way. Yeah, um, interesting. And, I, I in sand, I didn't realize you would want to raise the. I mean, I know nothing about growing in sandy soil, yeah. so I didn't realize you would actually want to raise beds in sand. Well, partly too, uh, I was ordering in very expensive combos, so it's like I don't really want to put it everywhere, like in the pathways too, you know. So, you know, we spent a lot, a lot of money on it, and uh, you just kind of want to put it where you can use it. Now, that being said, like the pathways are pretty healthy now too because we just let the weeds grow. You know, we use landscape fabric on the row beds, but the pathways are still exposed. So we have gotcha. all sorts of weeds come up. And uh, another couple of things that we tried that I want to possibly revisit is cover cropping. You know, your living pathways. I listened to your podcast, which was oh, really yeah. good. Yeah. And I mean, I like the idea of living pathways. And one year, um, you know, I had tons of clover growing in the pathways. And then we got all of our, you know, you know, woofers are right. Like volunteers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So volunteers mostly from Europe. Like it's always the Europeans that want to actually do stuff with their holiday and actually help, which is nice. Uh, but they were always complaining about getting stung by the bees because we had so much clover growing. So what? they. Well, it's like the weirdest thing. I've never, yeah. read, never read about anywhere. And so, anyways, maybe that's just unique to our farm. But I. Now, yeah. Yeah. I've never had too many bees because of clover. I don't know. I mean, maybe I don't know. We have a lot of bees out here. We have a lot of bees. Yeah, we were yeah. getting a lot of um, bee stings to the feet. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you keep bees on the farm, or they're just coming from somewhere else? Yeah, these are all like wasps and and bumblebees. But we have tried raising bees for honey. I've tried for three years off and on over the last seven years, and I've never been able to get honey. The bees get attacked and destroyed by the wasps. And other people, maybe just in this climate, that like, yeah, some years the wasp just completely just take over. Okay. So it sounds like it's a wasp issue then. Yeah, because I I mean, we have lots of honeybees and lots of bumblebees and a a few wasps. (laughs) And so I don't think anybody on my crew has ever gotten stung at my farm. I mean, maybe. Oh, you are so lucky. (laughs) Yeah. Although when we have our lavender again bloom, it's so beautiful. And all these bumblebees around, it's like the whole picture perfect, right? But yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like we had about fifteen wasp traps one year. Like I just went to town with them. We kept buying more and more of these things, and I couldn't save our honeybees for the life of me. It was so sad, and like oh. we abandoned the whole uh, honey project for now. But um, oh, that's sad. Yeah, I didn't realize that was um, that you could have such an intense wasp population. I wonder what that's all about. I don't know, but when I figure that out, I'll let you know because that's okay. really. Um, yeah, so the cover problem, like, we still want to revisit that, and we want to try to find a way to use that better. Um, for now, like, having just various weeds in the pathways is cool. Um, you know, that works. For now, it's still a little bit of effort to, to keep them out of the actual growing areas, but, yeah, um, yeah for now, we're going to do that. And another thing I, I love the idea of that I had to abandon is, you know, Connor Creekmore's uh, – Never Sink Farm, his, the flame weeder idea. I love, oh, yeah. like, I'm just infatuated with that guy. I'm just watching all his videos and you're like, oh my God, the way he does everything looks so easy. And, <laughs> it really <you> know, does. <laughs> yeah, the suspenders on and he's just walking up and down the rows with his flame weeder. And it's just like, oh, that's so badass. I want to do that. <laughs> and, uh, 
Right. So yeah, I mean, we try, but again, with the wind, the, the wind is just obscene out here. Like every time I would light that flame reader up, the wind would just, would shut it off every time. And I just gave up on the idea. Oh, wow. That's a shame. Cause that's a pretty expensive, uh, um, you know, fail in that the flame leaders aren't cheap. So. Oh, I've got bigger fails than that, but that'll be a whole nother. We got podcast. a lot of <laughs> financial tool fails. That's oh good. no! Oh gosh! Do you want to tell us about other ones, or, or you want to not not go into that? Oh, I think we have so many. I think there are so many tools that we saw other farmers use on YouTube or or on Instagram that look so cool, and we had to buy them right away. And now that I think back up upon it we don't own any of those tools anymore we we resold them to everyone yeah yeah well a lot more for veggie farming too like that was the salad harvester thing that was oh yeah really that cool. thing yeah yeah i've seen that i've never yeah. used one yeah yeah and so, then we realized we just prefer to cut our lettuce down with a, a small serrated knife and you know we would do it in this about the same amount of time um yeah just getting rid of all the gadgets i mean going back to the basics we really don't have many gadgets anymore and uh it's working better for us you know okay yeah that makes good sense sometimes it's better to have fewer inputs i think that's kind of the mantra of you know a more um permaculture or um holistic kind of farming is less inputs and relying on things that you have to purchase so so that's a good one yeah. Another thing we like to use is our, the broad fork. I mean, I think that's mm. a really good way to get aeration in the soil without disturbing it too much. Yeah. Because you don't really want to, you obviously don't want to till the soil, but um, you do want to get aeration, especially when the soil is compacted. Um, so we use that, and that seems to help a bit. How do you guys do your bed prep then? So say you're um, you're bringing in all this compost, and then are you just laying it on top of the existing beds and broad forking or do you try to not, you know, not till it, but are you trying to work it in some way or you just leave it as a thick layer on top? Yeah. So our, our bed prep usually starts with adding like one to two inches of, of, of compost or, or we start broad forking one or the other. So broad fork one to two inches of compost um, we'll apply like an all organic fertilizer. And then what we found really works for us is a tilter. Um, so we purchased our tilter from Johnny's and probably the two or maybe three main reasons we like it. One is it's going to help, um, mix in our organic amendments. Um, the second is it really helps. Um, we have a lot of rain where we live and we get a lot of compaction in our soil because of the rain. So it makes our soil a little bit more fluffy, a little bit more airy. And it also helps us um, plant our transplants really, really quickly because the soil soft, things go in really quickly. You can take your hand trial, make a hole, a hole plant your plug, bury it and the job gets done really quick. Yeah, I add one more thing to that is that because I always do the job at the end that you never do. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> what, all, yeah. what, what is that job? Uh, I'm the raker. So I use the rake. I got this amazing 30 inch okay, rake yes. and it's probably my favorite tool on the farm. And so by having the tilter, I hate the word because tilter, I hate tilling. Um, by having the, the rake go on after using the tilter, you can really smooth it out. And when you lay your irrigation down, because we're doing drip line, you want the irrigation to be relatively on a flat row. 
Mm -hmm. so everything gets watered properly. Uh, I've done it a couple ways without using the tilter and the rows aren't flat. And then the irrigation is a little wobbly and the water isn't always evenly distributed. Mm -hmm. So that's another aspect of why I like the tilter. <laughs> and then mixing the fertilizer in, like she said, I mean, if we didn't have fertilizer and we didn't have that problem, we probably wouldn't use it, but it's, it is helpful for now. Yeah. I don't know that many, and maybe I just haven't asked enough flower farmers, but I don't know that many flower farmers using a tilter. I know it's really pretty common in, in the veggie world at this point, but um, I personally have never used one myself, but I've been toying with the idea of getting one. Since you are already saying you use a rake, Chris, can you talk a little bit about why you think a tilter does something different or more than a rake does, you know, cause I use, a, I just use hard rakes a lot to, to do what I think a tilter does <laughs> um, on my bed tops, but it sounds like you use both and that they're different tools essentially. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you could just use the rake. Um, but when we have a tarp on before we take the tarp off to add in the fresh compost, add the fertilizer, da da da. Um, the rain is so heavy out here in the Pacific Northwest that the soil can get compacted from having the tarps on there because of the constant battering of the rain. So the tilter kind of just loosens the top bit a little bit. I mean, gotcha. Yeah. So it does have its uses. Okay. Yeah. I think it's a really cool tool and I, I kind of want to have one just to play with it and see, because I hear so much about it from, um, you know, lots of different veggie farmers. So I'm excited to know that you guys have one. <laughs> Maybe I'll come, I'll come visit and use it. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> so speaking of irrigation then, so you're just using drip. Do you ever toy with using overhead irrigation or it's all drip? I know in the flower world, we're supposed to only use drip, but I like to ask if anybody's using overhead irrigation. Yeah. yeah I'm always jealous of all my uh, veggie flower yes. uh, farmers. They all have, overhead irrigation and it yeah. just oh my god it looks it so seems so delightful speaking of connor every time i see him and i'm like uh, oh i yeah. want that but then it's like oh here we go again with all the lines so. oh what a <laughs> yeah um so yeah obviously like overhead irrigation is incredible in many ways but we're using drip and i just decided to do it at the beginning from more of like a conscious kind of way of looking at things like i just didn't want to just use tons of water we didn't necessarily need and just one of the target the actual crops were growing yeah yeah i mean and then it just turned into well we've already invested in drip line we're going to stay with it now but it is they say 90 percent more effective than efficient whatever effective uh than using you know overhead overhead water so time to take a quick break and get a word from one of our great sponsors that makes this podcast possible Flowers are reaching a diverse and appreciative customer base today through farmers markets, CSAs, grocery stores, weddings, contactless delivery, and UPIC. This diversity is supported by the strong community of members in the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Since 1988, the association, better known as the ASCFG, has been uniting and educating specialty cut flower growers across the globe, supplying them with accurate and up-to-date information about best practices for both the production and marketing of cut flowers. The ASCFG publishes the only trade magazine in North America dedicated entirely to specialty cut flowers. 
It also produces a host of classes and conferences on topics ranging from floral design to irrigation. The connections made with growers through an ASCFG membership are priceless. My own flower business would not be where it is today without the generous mentorship of fellow ASCFG members. Visit ASCFG.org to learn more about all the great benefits of becoming a member. Mention no-till flowers when joining and receive a $50 discount on a new membership. All right, let's get back to this great conversation and dig even deeper. I, I definitely have always used drip and I buy into like everything that I know about drip and, and that it's more um, water conscious, so to speak. But that I've lately, and I'm curious what you guys think about this, lately I've been thinking about how how does that affect soil biology? Sometimes I think that the top of my beds get too dried out because I do have compost on the top and compost can get um, hydrophobic. And and I feel like there's times I wish I could just put a sprinkler on out there, you know, and just make it, you know, mimic raining instead of the drip irrigation system, which I think sometimes is almost too targeted, you know, like I, I there can be dry spots between the irrigation lines. So it, I don't know, any thoughts about that? <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. I mean, we're, uh, I don't want to say fortunate enough because I mean, it kind of works against us too. It rains so much out here. We get already the same effects that you get with your overhead irrigation. We, we get that anyways with our rain. So our, our drip line for us, it just, it does what we need it to. And if you leave the crops in the ground, like what singing frogs does, where you have the roots, they help retain more water. So then you're getting less patchy spots because the water is distributed a bit better. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously like with the irrigation, like if you're just starting off as a farmer, like if, as a veg farmer, I would go with overhead. I mean, the costs are so much cheaper. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. But we've invested in, like the thing is we've invested in all this drip line and what, seven years in now, I've got a lot of the stuff still works just fine. Haven't yeah. had any of the lines. I'll leave it out all winter as well. Oh, wow. Oh, if yeah. I did that here, it would be chewed through by critters. <laughs> they love to chew <laughs> oh, stuff. No. Yeah. So I, I bought the good stuff, right? Because, you know, I, I know a lot of farmer friends, they buy the really cheap drip tape stuff. But then yeah. you have to throw away, you know, tons of that stuff every year goes in the landfill. I mean, that's obviously not what I want to do. So we're happy that the stuff we have still works. And uh, yeah, we're yeah. all for it. So when you're doing bed prep or bed flip, then in that case, if you're leaving drip lines out, what do you, you, you must pull them up to, to flip a bed or do you just kind of work around the lines? No, we definitely don't trust ourselves or our staff to work with the irrigation. In the <laughs> so being flipped up and removed to the side because we've had way too many pitchfork accidents. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell okay. how old the lines are from the amount of patchwork is on each one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I just thought maybe you had found some magic formula for like leaving them on. I was like, oh, I need to know your trick. <laughs> but it's the same. Okay. Got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, in your, in your really sandy soil in particular, how are you working to increase biodiversity um, both below the ground and above the ground? But do you have any particular strategies? for adding biology to your farm? Uh, well, sure, there's a number of things. Um, you know, the main thing I guess probably touched on earlier was adding more compost every year. Um, ideally, it'd be nice to be able to make it on the farm, but again, you know, we're using, we're, we're cultivating pretty in intensively. And so we do bring in our own compost. Like we, we, 
be bought in. It gets trucked in every year. Um, anyone that's thinking of doing that, have a look at the uh, compost providers. See if they have a slinger truck. I mean, this is probably the coolest thing we've discovered. But if you're getting soil delivered every year, you know how in, it's still standardless. I'm not going to lie, having a you know, wheelbarrow every day, fresh compost in each bed. But if you have the opportunity to use a slinger truck and the guy comes over, it's a little slinger and he's a little remote control and you can just be like point to each row and he can put the soil on each one. Hey, wait, 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 wait. You got to back up. I've never heard of this. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, know, I, looks like I discovered it like six years ago. It's like a newish thing for me. And yeah, like so happy to share it. But um, yeah, there's slinger trucks. Like I guess they have them and in, in, yeah, every every big soil company has them. So are they like, they have like a con conveyor belt on them how does it how does it move it to the row so it has a conveyor belt on it they won't deliver if it's raining because the conveyor belt won't work properly so you have to time it properly um but yeah they'll deliver with a slinger truck and so it can shoot up to 80 feet they say what um yeah it's crazy so we're gonna try to use that more every year because we get so exhausted in the spring already which is the worst thing to get exhausted early because you're like shoveling oh, almost yeah. every day, and then the tulip harvest kills you because um, we always plant them too deep, but we're working oh, yeah. better than that. So, um, so I guess that was my first, yeah, thing to mention for strategies is more compost. Okay. Uh, other things are, you know, we believe in this. Uh, Steve Solomon's uh, organic compost, organic fertilizer recipe, and in that you got your kelp meal, you got your. Um, you know, fish fertilizer, you got your lime, um, you got rock phosphate. But one thing I really like that was in that that I discovered uh, is azomite, which is a, it's a trace mineral. It's got like uh, well, upwards of 50 trace minerals in it that your soil typically doesn't have. So it just adds just more, uh, more diversity, right? So strengthens the, the character of it, I guess. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. All right. I'm going to look that up then. Yeah. I actually, I'm not familiar with Steve Solomon either. So that's a new name to me. I'll oh, have to look well, yeah. He's a pretty cool dude. I mean, yeah. he spent a good lifetime figuring out a good balance for uh, a fertilizer recipe. So we get all the ingredients separately and we combine them all. So always, you know, we've got in the garage, it's just tons of these different metal garbage bins where rodents can't get into. And each metal bin has got its own fertilizer. And then we mix them all together every time we're making uh, a new batch to do a, a new part of the field. And uh, yeah, it works pretty good. And do you apply the same mix to all the beds um, unanimously yeah. or, okay. And yeah, do you, yeah. oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. Like we, we, I don't do crazy math like some farmers and, and you know, oh, I'm planting this crop. I'm just going to put this much or that much. I, I just do like an equal amount for every bed. And if you look up Steve Solomon's uh, recipe, he's got a good formula that works pretty good. Okay. And for mix, like actual mix, yeah, mixing, <laughs> I know you have like the individual ingredients in metal cans, but then for mixing, are you just doing like five gallon buckets? Or I always like to know exactly how people handle this kind of like heavy lifting mixing kind of stuff. Is there any? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. I, I, again, I just, yeah, just do it in the buckets. Simple. Um, okay. Just mix it around it's pretty dusty so you don't want to inhale all that stuff especially the 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 lime and stuff so i try to do it outside of the garage and kind of like tilt my head away while mixing it and, 
you can, you know, have it from one bucket and you can throw it to another bucket back and forth like that. Um, yeah, so that works. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I guess if there's more things I would say like to add for perennial plants. Yeah, it, please, let's talk perennials. Yeah, again, we're not doing everything perfectly, but there's ideals and there's things that we're trying to implement all the time. And one of them is mycelial uh, inoculants. So you think of a, say an apple tree, for example, well, the roots only can reach so far, but by inoculating, when you're planting any, say the apple tree, um, you can put in some mycelial dust, which is uh, gonna enhance, creates its own mycelial network, which helps the roots reach farther nutrients that it couldn't necessarily get. So- And where are you getting those, that mycelium dust that you're using? Uh, Paul Stamets, uh, you know, he doesn't even sell to Canadians anymore, um, but oh. <laughs> this year I used to buy it from his website, um, Paul Stamets, you know, Mycelium Running, if you ever want to nerd yeah. out on the book, that's a good one too. I love that book. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, rather than listening to me try to explain it, it's best to read the book. He knows yeah, what he's yeah. But have you found specific, I mean, I love mycelium and, and just thinking about mycorrhizae and symbiotic relationships, have you found any particular, um, you know, bugs in a jug or whatever you want to call them that are working or any any specific products that seem to be really making a difference on your farm? Good question. I, I mean, I, I think adding fresh compost on everything every year is like probably one of our main things. Um, because this property at one point in time used to be part of like there was a logging camp in the area like 80 years ago so oh. every once in a while I'm digging around and I find like a huge area of charcoal oh. and it's kind of like oh wow sweet okay I'm gonna dig out some charcoal and then I go <laughs> yeah and I go out to like there's we have two ponds on our farm and I go around there and there's tons they're man-made ponds so there's like heaps of clay around so I go get some clay and I get some charcoal and then I will go and plant those plant that with whatever perennials we're putting in the ground so oh uh, wow there's a farm on Salt Spring Island um Harry Burton uh he's a legend in like the apple world he's got the biggest variety of apples that I know of like over 500 varieties and uh anyways he doesn't use irrigation at all and all he does is he just puts tons of clay around all his apple trees and they take care of themselves. So yeah, I mean, again, trying to learn after the old timers that really been doing this for a lot longer than we have. And that sounds like a cool idea because I don't always want to go around in the summertime checking all the irrigation lines and making sure everything's working. I mean, that sounds like a better idea overall. So yeah. Do you irrigate your perennials then? You actually have lines on all the perennials? Uh, we do. And, uh, yeah, they're used, you know, a couple months a year, really, but okay. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty like, it's strange. It's like we're desert like out here, there's sand everywhere. So to obviously build that and to make more of a food for us and, you know, build diversity and everything. Yeah. You kind of have to rely on, you know, uh, yeah. Irrigation is really helpful and having, you know, one thing we do around some of our perennials is we put, wood chips the negative to that is when they break down is that they're taking nutrients out of the soil so you you know you have to amend them and you know having cardboard and 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 wood chips and compost you know it's all all works together and a little bit of irrigation and yeah 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 always tweaking it and trying to figure it out so 
Yeah, that's the journey of farming is just always to keep tweaking it. <laughs> You're never done, that's for sure. So um, Bronwyn, can you tell me what kind of flower crops you are really enjoying growing in this like, you know, sandy, dry <laughs> desert? <laughs> and like what ones seem to work well with your design work that, you know, it's always a balance of what can you grow and what can you actually sell and, and use. Um, so what, what's what's working for you guys out there? What's working for us is, although this may be a problem in the future, our, our tulips really work for us. Um, our winters are getting a little bit too warm. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to continue growing tulips for, um, you know, the near future. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but our tulips work really, really well. Also, um, dahlias work really, really well on Vancouver Island. Um, I think our climate really mimics some of the uh, mountainous regions in Mexico where dahlias are found. Um, so we're really mm -hmm. successful with dahlias and um, really anything that can tolerate, um, you know, a hot, dry summer. Um, anything from sunflowers to zinnias. I mean, I, I don't want to say we can grow at all, but we can grow. I feel like we can grow a lot of the uh, hot weather crops really successfully where I struggle a little bit more with the cool weather crops because our, our spring kind of goes from a mild spring to a really, really hot spring really quick. Um, so those, those cool weather flowers don't, you know, they don't really fare well here. Yeah. Like sweet peas. Can you do sweet peas or do they get, it gets too hot for them? Yeah, I can do sweet peas. Um, funny enough, Chris can do sweet peas better than me and it's the only <laughs> flower he can do better than me. And I'm, I don't know why. Oh. <laughs> I, I really want to know more about that, but I'm not even sure how to ask what that is. Um, like what, what the difference is. I don't know. It's something I, you know, I, I had trays of sweet peas that had been in there for maybe a month and I was so close to throwing them out. They're so root bound. And I just didn't think they'd survive. And, you know, Chris kept asking about them every single day, probably for an entire month. <laughs> and every single time he asked about them, I said, just chuck them out, throw them out, get rid of them, put them in the compost, whatever. And <laughs> what does he go and do behind my back is he goes and plants them. And then being the most successful sweet pea crop we ever had. Wow. What was your trick, Chris? What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Well, it's nice having secrets, you know. <laughs> All right. That's delicious. fair. You got to keep, you got to, you got to uh, have the secret so you'll be able to stay around longer. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was one of the few rows that uh, we didn't use the tail feather. It didn't add any amendments because it's obviously a leguminous plant, right? They're nitrogen fixing. So they already draw uh, like the fertilizer they need, the nitrogen out of the atmosphere, which is fantastic. Um, they kind of take care of themselves. So like a lazy crop. So that's my kind of. <laughs> I just I'm laughing because I'm not sure anybody I've ever talked to considers them a lazy crop, or maybe I should say I don't. I find them yeah, to be very challenging. Right? Not when it comes to like weaving them and harvesting and all that stuff, but yeah, getting yeah. them going uh, early in the season, they work good out here. So. Yeah, yeah, nice. Well, from the pictures that you post on Instagram, I mean, it does look like you guys are growing it all and you're growing it all really well. I mean, it seems like there's you have an abundance of flowers um, for the space that you're growing on. So I'm always impressed by what I see. I see you've got going on out there. Um, so what crops have not really worked for you though? I mean, is there anything that 
other, you know, I'm thinking of listeners that are listening to the podcast who might also be in a sandy, super dry summer climate. Are there any things they should really avoid? I personally, I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, I, I don't know if it has a lot to do with the sand in our soil, but I know we have, because we're surrounded by uh, forests, we have so many pine trees and it makes mm. the soil really acidic. So I struggle with acidity. Um, so sometimes I don't know if it's a sandy soil or if it's the acidity mainly has to do with my perennials. Um, but it's kind of a, a self-discovery to see what I can manipulate and, um, and change. Well, yeah, I think, well, maybe not necessarily just growing, but like the crops that we've like weeded out per se that we decided not to grow or ones that weren't necessarily as efficient at harvesting and preparing into, into bunches, right? Like there's a, there's a lot of flowers that are like really pretty, but their yields aren't that high. And so we're like, Hey, well, they're just not, you know, they're not high yielders, not producing enough or making enough money per, per area. So we pretty much stop growing those for more of that reason than anything I would say. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We grow like, I mean, a couple of years ago, you're growing everybody thing right now we're uh, we've, you know, refined it quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something you taught me, Jenny, at that uh, workshop I took of yours on Salt Spring was to grow a little bit less, you know, I was trying to grow everything. It, when you get into flowers, it's so easy to fall really, really hard and want to grow absolutely everything. You see something on Instagram, you want to grow it. You see something on Facebook, you have to grow it. Florette posts, you want to, you know, <laughs> it's this addiction. And, um, you know, all of a sudden you look around your farm and you have like a couple hundred varieties of this and that. And to try to keep on top of what this crop needs, what this crop needs, what this crop needs, it's way too much work. So we've really tried to simplify and grow the things that grow really well for us. I'm not trying to overextend ourselves and to grow everything. Um, if it doesn't grow well for me one year, maybe I'll give it I try a second year and that second year doesn't work, then, you know, no matter how beautiful it is, we're just gonna, you know, hopefully another farm closer to us does a really good job of it. And if not, we just, you know, we don't use it. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think it's, um, there's no sense in wasting all that energy on something that you only get a handful or two from throughout the season. It, it was hard to say goodbye to some things myself over the years, but I'm glad to hear you took my advice and, um, it, I think it's it's just what every flower farmer has to do. They just have to come to terms with that, that there's so much beauty in the world, but there's only so much we should grow um, and, and to find the right thing. So, yeah. Um, so let's Success. talk real. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, what's up? No, sorry. I'm horrible at interrupting people. Um, I would say for succession planting as well, having less crops, you can you know, obviously dial in the time frame that the plants will be harvested at. When you're growing a ridiculous sum of plants, it's harder to time your succession to get the second crop in because our, our, our growing periods are so short here that if we screw up getting the second, second succession in, we might not even get a, a yield out of that second crop. Oh, wow. So you really, so what, when do you guys, what is your growing season then? Is it short? Because you're 7B, but you apparently have a shorter window. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. yeah, we're 7B, but we receive extremely heavy rains come fall and come winter. And they do a lot of damage to our flowers. A lot of mildew, mold damage, petal damage. Um, 
And we only have one greenhouse and two hoop houses right now. So everything that's grown out in the main field can um, sometimes take a really big beating from the weather yeah. and yeah. Uh, damage our crops. Yeah. So like April to October is when we have crops growing outside. Okay. And yeah. So that's. Yeah. It's short. But the, the temperature isn't really ideal and there, it's, it changes every year. Like your records are almost useless because it just, it's all whimsical and anyways yeah, <laughs> it's I, all I, whimsical i like how you put that chris it's all whimsical instead of the way i'm usually cursing it i'm like ah yeah, yeah i know <laughs> I get better we always thought as farmers you're supposed to record the weather every year and yeah. based your you know your future growing planning and whatnot based on that and every single year we farm has been so different, so different. we didn't ever predict the weather i mean it's absolutely taught us hundred lessons in a year every single year yeah um, I, I think that it, I think at this point I think you could do that in the past like my dad is a lifelong farmer he's 78 and he tells me all the time how it used to be way more predictable and now that it's just it's just sort of a wild roller coaster ride you know I think that's where we're at unfortunately with our climate there's there's never going to be a normal year <laughs> there's no such thing as normal anymore <laughs> mm-hmm. which is very challenging for to navigate over and over again. I feel yeah. that way all the time. Yeah. Your plan B, your plan C, your D, E, F, and be, you know, okay with a lot of failures and pulling yourself up by the bootstraps a couple hundred times every year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's I, the only thing I always say to anybody is that seeds are cheap. So they're worth taking a gamble. Even if you're not <laughs> sure you can get that second succession, it's worth, yeah, worth a chance. <laughs> so are you guys going to try to add more houses? because of your wind and your rain does that make sense do you feel like in your in your climate that's the best direction to go we haven't really talked about it i mean we we've got some frames we haven't put up yet so i mean it would make sense to you but i guess we've just been going full tilt this year that we haven't had a a chance to just like reflect and plan for next year yet but that's coming yeah, it's our last week. Christmas is coming up and I'm sure like Christmas holidays we'll be talking about farming and next year. So Yeah, I'm sure. That was that was my um my my sort of final question was to ask you if there's much that you think you'll change for next year. It's been such a such a watershed year 2020 and I know 2021 holds a lot of uncertainty for people in the flower industry, but I also think it holds a tremendous amount of opportunity for all of us and I think it's this is the time, you know, here in the winter to just sit down and really contemplate, you know, those, those pivots that were in theory temporary (laughs) for one year. Is it something to make permanent or new lessons that were learned? Do you guys have any, I know you're in total exhaustion mode after the the holidays here, but um, any thoughts coming to the surface now about what you'd keep from 2020? Well, I I think there's so many there's absolutely so many lessons we learned this year. And one of them is, you know, farmers markets have been great for us in building community and um, building our brand. Um, but we really like, you know, unfortunately our, our farmers markets were canceled this year and we were able to promote our farm stands somehow. And our farm stand became really successful. People wanted to, um, you know, on the weekend come out for a drive and visit the stand. And to have people come to us instead of having to, you know, Friday night prep everything until late into the evening, wake up early Saturday, try to take a shower when you're exhausted and stand around the farmer's market and 
put on a happy face when, you know, you're feeling kind of stressed and feeling tired. And, you know, we were so happy that our, our farm stand was successful this year. I think we were really, really happy with that. And, and we'd be really happy to go into next season um, with, with doing that as well. I think another thing is in 2019, I, at the end of the season, I told Chris, I was like, I'm not doing bouquet subscriptions. Or CSAs <laughs> ah. and I, hate, I hate this so much. It's causing me a lot of stress because we can never get a, a big following. You know, it's always eight to 10 people a month. And, you know, half of those people every week would, you know, send us a message on Instagram that I wouldn't see about, you know, picking it up another week or this or that, or can you leave it here? Can you bring it here? And it, it really was not working for us at all. And then um, as soon as I told Chris, you know, I'm done with it. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> no, COVID happens and our CSAs end up being our most successful part of our business. Um, yeah, for sure. We have about a, a 50 to 60 person CSA every month. Wow. And it was, it was amazing. You know, we absolutely loved it. Some people signed up all year and, and Chris and my mom and dad and his mom would do all the deliveries. We did the uh, contactless porch deliveries and it was, I don't know. It just, it, it kind of felt like everything fell into place and things were comfortable and it was, we were kind of operating our business the way we want to talk right our business. And um, yeah, that really felt good. So how did you reach all those new CSA customers and or the farm stand customers? You know, it doesn't sound like that was your focus before. So what do you think you used to, to actually get a hold of those people this time? Uh, the newspaper ads and radio. Hmm. No, I'm joking. No. <laughs> no, it's like, that would be the first farmer that's ever done that. But okay. I'll... <laughs> I've got to be honest, though, I, I, like seven years ago, I was putting things in the newspaper. I had yeah. no idea what to do. Um, and then Broen came into my life, and, you know, she's always pretty nifty on her computer. And she revolutionized the business. But just putting it all online, social media. Yeah, I think twenty yeah. in 2019, I make goals for myself every year. And in 2019, it was to build up a really solid email list. Um, and to work on our social media, to have like a more professional um, website, more professional uh, social media so that people viewed us as, you know, exactly how we wanted people to view our business. I'm, I don't know, I'm flustered how it worked. I, I'd like to think we have a really great community of people who love flowers and flowers make them really happy. And um, we've tried to bring them along our journey and um, some somehow it's worked. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I think that's, it, you're probably exactly right. I think it, you know, COVID, you know, brought everybody to the, out of the woodwork, so to speak, in terms of who are the flower lovers out there. So, but it's also because you were available and it was easy to find you, no doubt, kind of like what your professor from college said, from university said, you know, make it easy and convenient. So clearly you mastered that. I absolutely I love doing deliveries like it's it's probably the coolest thing really yeah. you love doing them that's great what do you like about them just that people are so happy to see you <laughs> exactly you're just bringing like light to everyone's day and they're just so receiving so happy and it's it's fantastic I mean I mean who doesn't who doesn't want to be a delivery driver like, <laughs> I mean, it's just one day a week or whatever, but I actually really love it. You know, I put on a nice podcast, I got coffee, 
and I go out for the day. You know, it might be six hours of just doing deliveries, but it's fantastic. Yeah. And our farm plans usually open at the same time. And we're trying to learn to keep Sundays off, which is impossible still, but we're working on it. Um, yeah, but we've got a system now, I think, going forward for next year. And uh, I mean, anyone that's listening in, I'd, I'd say check out the website, get ideas on how to how to sell your product. We did decide to start charging delivery because, you know, different areas on the island, they, you know, farther distances. So we used to do all our deliveries for free. We learned really quick. That was a bad idea, but um, you know, it's, it's working in our favor now. We've, we've figured it out. And uh, Do yeah, you charge a flat delivery fee or do you have different delivery fees for different areas of the island? Yeah. Yeah, different del- delivery fees for different areas because the island is pretty vertical. It's a really narrow, long island. So for us to get to a lot of locations, you know, we're driving. For us to go to the uh, to the nearest biggest city is is an hour drive, and you know we get a lot of uh, customers in that area. So we charge a little bit more to drive there, and then we always keep um, local delivery free to our customers. Um, those are usually our, our farmer's market customers, our customers that have been there for us um, day one, the ones that are, you know, always buying from us, always supporting us, always, always there for us. We try to keep that free for them. Yeah, that sounds great. I, I like the system that you got going. And I started doing deliveries here this year after swearing I would never do deliveries <laughs> ever. Because <laughs> I, unlike you, Chris, hate being in a car for a long time. Um, but it, it turns out deliveries are great and they're easy and I'm kind of shocked. But I do think that's a, a COVID um you know, kind of COVID flip of the script in that I don't know that deliveries were that easy before, but <laughs> everybody got really into this contactless delivery thing. And it's it's great for flower farmers. I think it's a fantastic vehicle for moving flowers. So yeah. <laughs> um, well, great. I think that's about as much time as we have you guys, but it was such a wonderful conversation. I feel like I learned a lot. I'm really excited in particular to look up Steve Solomon's recipe for um, fertilizer and just uh, dig into a few more of the things that you guys mentioned along the way. I'm so grateful you took the time to do this. I know it's it's the end of a long season for you guys. <laughs> oh well, thank you so much for having us, Jenny. You're Thanks such a, a you're such an idol in the fire farming community and sustainable farming community. And you know we're so grateful to have you to look up to you and learn from you. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I'm just trying to pass it forward. There were many wonderful flower farmers before me that taught me a lot. So the least I can do is uh, is pass it along. So and now you guys are too. You've, you're um, you're going to serve as great inspiration for other flower farmers. So that's what this beautiful industry is all about: um, community and support. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, and I hope you guys get some rest here at the end of the winter. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Today's episode of No-Till Flowers was produced by Ginny Love of Love and Fresh Flowers with support from No-Till Growers. Special thank you to Nikolai Fox for the theme music, at Nikolai Fox on Instagram. Thank you to the Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash no-till growers for making this show possible. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are getting it and leave a review. That always helps us out. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of No-Till Flowers.